Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Strata. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I've got Z with me, who is based out of San Diego. Z, how you doing, man? Doing great this morning. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on. I know we've gone back and forth a bit, but it's an absolute pleasure to meet you and, and finally talk facilities. So before we dive into it, why don't you give the audience a little bit of a background on who you are and how you got to facilities management? So uh, I've been in biotech uh, in San Diego 21 years in April, and I transitioned there from in 2001 from the military. I had a full career, uh, 24 years in the Navy, uh, doing maintenance management and um, on submarines, uh, diving systems, that type of thing. And uh, the facilities profession looked like a good fit for my background. So I rolled into a little startup uh, La Jolla Pharmaceutical back in 2001 and started out as a mechanic too uh, and then now I'm a director at the, a biotech in San Diego in Sorrento Valley. Very cool. And so go, taking a step, couple steps back in, into your military career, how did you get involved in, in becoming, uh, you know, uh, making your career path out of maintenance? Well, uh, I was, you know, for, you know, I don't want to talk too much military jargon for people, but uh, I was what they called a machinist mate. And so uh, I spent a good part of my first year going to training, learning about, you know, how to use tools, change oil, work on turbines, uh, all that type of stuff. So it was a uh, big, big machinery, marine machinery, turbines, uh, boilers, uh, eventually went to a nuclear submarine, not as a nuke, but as a, an auxiliaryman. And that was all air compressors and vacuum systems, refrigeration, which you know fit perfectly right into the facilities realm. Got it. So you made a career in the military, kind of doing facilities management. Just uh, now, you've made the transition outside of uh, into the civilian world into officially facilities management. So walk me through what that transition looked like. Well, it. Uh, First, I utilized, utilized the GI Bill out of the gate in a couple of years before I actually retired and got my uh, general education degree. And then I, uh, I saw a book and it had a, uh, an author in there who went to Ferris State University, University and had a bachelor's degree in HVAC design and controls. And I thought, wow, that would be really great. So I contacted that school and they had an online course that you could take to, uh, in HVAC design and controls. And so I pursued that career uh, all the while I was working full time. And so community college, online bachelor's degree, and you know, on the job training. And that transitioned me into uh, you know, higher and higher positions, you know, because now I had my degree, I had years of leadership training in the military. And I uh, also got a, a minor in business management. So that all led into uh, where I'm at now as a, as a director in facilities. Got it. And so how did you make that transition into biotech? Because that isn't just you know a normal industry, I would imagine. You're actually the first facilities manager that I've talked to that's been a biotech. So uh, let's dive into to that industry specific to facilities. What does that look like? What does that entail? How did you get into it? 
That, that's an interesting uh, question. I was taking refrigeration classes at the local community college in San Diego, and one, an owner of a refrigeration company, particularly ultra-cold freezers, uh, so, which is kind of a different than a regular refrigerator. It's negative 80 degrees C refrigerators. He had a company that did maintenance on those uh, particular pieces of equipment, and he was having a hard time finding good mechanics. So he went into the classroom one night and asked the teacher, who was getting the best grade point average, and so uh, that happened to be me. So we had a little impromptu uh, interview about three months before I got out of the Navy in the in the uh, in the instructor's office, and he hired me on the spot. So um, three months before I got, out, I had a job as a refrigeration technician uh, working in San Diego, which all biotech industry has a lot of negative 80 freezers because they have uh, that, uh, that type of product that needs to be refrigerated to that level. So I got out, went to work as a service technician. So I, I got my keys, my van, I, you know, and I drove around to different companies and I was doing uh, preventive maintenance on uh, freezers. And as I was driving around, of course, San Diego is a really busy town. So I did, wasn't too pleased with having to drive around all day in traffic and, you know, taking an hour and a half to get home from some locations. But I did see that almost every biotech had a facilities manager who was ex-military. And I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to be in the facilities department in biotech. Not, I'm not saying all, all biotech, but a good portion of them were ex-military guys, uh, officers and uh, senior enlisted. And so I thought I probably had a pretty good chance of getting on a facilities team. Uh, so I started, as I was doing maintenance, I was also networking and dropping off my resume at uh, different biotech companies here in San Diego. And uh, it took about a month and, and I got hired on uh, at La Jolla Pharmaceutical. And uh, that's how I got it, got into that part of the industry. But the thing I liked about biotech is the equipments were well-funded, uh, well-supported. They had great equipment. The, you know, they've got the best air handlers, the best water systems, um, you know, the best of everything because they are FDA approved and they're making manufacturing a drug that goes in a human being. So they needed to have very tight regulations. And I had a strong background in quality from the military. So it, uh, it all tied together very well. As a transition, yeah, you're just out there hustling, uh, going from client to client, <laughs> and then passing your resume on. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you make this transition. You're now at a single location. You're not driving around, and you're a dedicated facilities manager. So, what does that look like as you've gone from military to a specialized? Uh, mechanic working on the the minus 80 refrigeration systems and now you have the whole building if I'm understanding you correctly so what did that jump look like and, and how how did you make that sort of transition of being a specialist to now you're looking at facilities management and being across the board you got to cover everything floor to ceiling uh, or I guess floor to roof of that building well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning. So after I completed all my uh, classwork and, and my bachelor's degree, there is an organization, uh, it is, it's international, it's called ISP, International Society of Pharmaceutical Engineers. And they write a lot of guidelines for the GMP industry, uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And there are a lot of regulations you have to understand, plus all the codes having to do with building management. And that's, that's a whole that's a very common theme for anyone who's a facilities manager. You have to understand basic electrical code, building codes, um, um, ADA requirements. There's a lot of codes, tons of codes. So you got to read a lot. So, you know, I came into it, you know, right out of the military and, and really just I studied for, I'd say about, 
you know, four to six years, just I was constantly in seminars, uh, San Diego Gas and Electric seminars on motors and pumps, and and it was I would just completely immerse myself in the industry and became a student of uh, not only facilities management but uh, biotech industry, and uh, I took a lot of courses through ISPE, and also uh, and the more senior I got, the more exposure I had to the requirements that were needed, and eventually being audited by the FDA, I would be the guy in the hot seat. Uh, explaining why my maintenance program was the way it was and how we were maintaining it and showing proof. Uh, I will say that the military taught me the value of good documentation and that has really, really carried through with me uh, and been, um, it's, it's been really my, my golden ticket was understanding documentation very well and how to present that to auditors. Yeah, and so taking a couple steps back, you, you've alluded to the FDA several times. And so the guidelines there, I mean, you alluded to it. So we've got so many different guidelines we've got to follow in facilities, but you're kind of throwing a layer on top of that with the FDA. So what makes that unique other than it's the FDA? I mean, what specifically made that more challenging than the other codes and regulations that we've got to follow as FMs? Well, it's more than it's it's more than like thermostat wars where people this person's hot, that person's cold. You adjust the thermostats up and down, and and uh, you know a backed up uh, water closet or something like that. When you are manufacturing uh, products that will be used by or injected into a human being, there's there's a level of uh, safety that that you have no other, no other place because that that drug or that product that you manufacture will be affecting the quality of human life. So there, that adds a different layer than just basically human comfort and, and, and basic safety as in uh, going into a building and make sure everything is electrically safe and the air quality is good and all that. So uh, the manufacturing aspect of it makes it very unique and, and really critical. You gotta think about what you're doing each and every day. Yeah, and so w with that, I mean, how do you stay on top of those regulations? Because I imagine they're evolving rather frequently, right? Where, I mean, we've alluded to this on the show before, but COVID, there's been regulations that have changed on what seems like a daily basis, but that's, you're kind of immersed in that type of change and the need to be able to adjust when you're working with the FDA. Well, you, you, you never stop. You, you know, it's not one and done, okay, I got my degree, I don't have to you know, go to school anymore. You, you're constantly going to school, you're constantly learning. So you can never take your foot off the pedal. You're, you know, I just finished uh, two major certifications. Uh, well, they call me the triple threat. I've got the, uh, the facilities, uh, the FMP, the CFM, and now the uh, Sustainability Facilities Professional. So uh, I didn't come up with that term. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, but so I just finished uh, those certifications in 2021. And you know, I don't know yet what 2022 will bring, but, you know, there will be another certification. There will be another opportunity for learning and increasing my knowledge in the industry. But it's, it's continually learning. You can't never stop. Yeah, and, I, I mean, with the industry evolving as quickly as it is, that puts that much more of, you know, an emphasis on constant learning, continual learning there, and you've got to take the initiative there. I mean, you mentioned it yourself where, you had a full career in maintenance in the military where you got that foundation of, yes, the hands-on, get, you know, getting your hands dirty, fixing and repairing things, but also the documentation and following guidelines to the T, and yet you still spent the first four to six years after that career immersing yourself in different 
technologies and different, uh, I guess, tools that you'd be working on. And, and you just mentioned it here this year, this past year, you got another certification. You're going to get another one this year. So it's, uh, it's never good. You got to keep going. Right. Not only just getting the certification, but applying the, the fundamentals of it. And you know, I got some really great advice from a facilities manager one one time. And I was I was super great at the technical aspect of, aspect of things. But the, he said the farther up the chain you go, the less technical it becomes and more human it becomes. So it's, I would say at this point, my role is 80% people skills and about 20% documentation and technical knowledge. You know, I hire the I hire the smart people that understand the technical part of things and they can execute. But I've got to be the guy that really is the uh, I'm the coach and the, you know the cheerleader and the guy that's you know developing my team. And it's really about the human aspect. I deal a lot with uh, senior management, and you know it's sometimes getting the right things in place is uh, you know you got to put your salesman hat on and. To talk to them in the language that they understand in the C-suite. It's about dollars and cents and how it's going to move the company forward. And so that becomes a big part of it too. And there's not really a school for that. There's, uh, I mean, there's, I, I'm going to plug uh, LinkedIn a little bit, but the LinkedIn Learning has some great, uh, just really quick 30-minute uh, tips on how to deal with the C-suite and, you know, be being a good role model for your team and someone is, uh, um respected by the C-suite. Very, very important at this particular level. Yeah, and especially with facilities where it's oftentimes looked at as, as a cost center, and at, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to go in, talk to the C-suite, and, and tell them this is an area where you, there's an opportunity to invest, and it's not just you know money going out. There's countless things that we could be doing to improve different processes that we already have in place, and you know, yes, there it could be expenses going out, but we could reduce set expenses. And so putting in that in, in a way that they could com comprehend and it not getting too technical in the weeds from a facility standpoint is extremely important. And so I guess with that, how have you gone about doing that? You mentioned LinkedIn and, you know, once again, constantly improving your skill set that, from that standpoint. But how do you manage those type of expectations and then set expectations with the C-suite on budget and investments surrounding your organization? Well, as, as part of the certification process through IFMA, there's also classes of part of the, part of the certification process. There's, there's uh, 11 competencies in CFM, and one of them is finance and, and, uh, and budgeting. Another one is leadership and also real estate. So understanding what, you know, what the, uh, how that's all ties together for the business. There, those, those tools are presented to you in in the IFMA certifications. And then, of course, the networking with other facilities managers, uh, Sherry Perkins, the San Diego chapter president, has done a phenomenal job of bringing us all together back in 2022. Uh, we've had a, a couple of in-person in meetings, and you know, she, she, is just, she is just the most motivated person I think I've ever met. And she motivates everyone else just by her being in the room. But uh, she's done a fantastic job of getting everybody back together in person. You know, the uh, Zoom meetings and all that are okay, the virtual stuff. But man, being able to, to shake hands with people, look them in, you know, and of course from a distance, you know, with your mask on. But uh, doing all the right things and talking to the other good people in the industry uh, is how you learn these skills. And they're they're out there to support you. If you, you hit a bump in the road, you go, God, how would, how would 
you know, someone I respect, how would they deal with that? And you have a phone call with them, and you go, wow, that's that's really a good point of view that I didn't think about. So it, it is a big network, being a facilities manager, uh, tons of support. It's a tough job. It's it's a 24-7 job because uh, buildings never sleep, and, you know, and, and they get uh, feisty in the middle of the night. They decide to shut down and quit working, and, you know, your phone's got to be on all the time because we've got security and and uh, janitorial and all those other things that people never see. They're the, they're the, they're the little uh, gnomes in the background that make the building shiny and, and work well. Uh, you know, when they come back in in the morning, it just looks beautiful, and they just assume that just happens. So. <laughs> and it, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And it's, it's great to recognize the people that do put in that hard work. And, you know, in facilities, like you mentioned, buildings never sleep, and they oftentimes – um, probably more often than not, uh, something breaks down or goes wrong whenever it's the most inconvenient time. So you got to be prepared at all times. <laughs> yep. So you got to have a good plan in place, a good team and a good plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so switching gears here a little bit, I know you know you've been in the biotech space for quite some time, but you made some comparisons uh, when we've talked previously to just how it's in the manufacturing space more than anything, right? Of just how that is, I guess, a unique component of it. And there's nuances to facilities management and manufacturing uh, type facility. So I guess, what, what does that look like? And how does that compare to the traditional manufacturing facility people may be thinking of? Hmm. Well, um, are you talking about like uh, putting together cars versus putting together uh, bioreactor or something or? Yeah, so just in, in my, from my perspective, you're looking at you know, what you guys are doing in the end product that you guys are creating, right? So FDA guidelines, it's going to you know, be ingested by somebody versus cars, great example. You know, it's just a physical product, right? So I guess differences and similarities between the two there beyond the FDA regulations and guidelines there. Well, first off, you got to remember that each person in, in manufacturing, and this is, and this is outside the, the, you know, the, the facilities part, but I can talk to that as well. But also, the people that are coming in each day to do the manufacturing, to put the the uh, uh, the, the magic sauce together that's going to be bottled and sent out. You know, from the time that they step into their work environment, they're working in a bunny suit, sometimes double double layers, triple layers of uh, gloves, mask. Um, just, just to get into the space to start their job is quite, uh, quite a, a feat in itself, and they have to be qualified. And the, the room that they're in is constantly monitored for air quality and any type of impurities. And, and so, someone that's in that space, working in that space, it's uh, they have to be very astute into how they move in the space, how they work in the space, and follow all the regulations, every single thing that could possibly compromise the product that they're working on. So that's something that's a little different. And you've got to have all the, the systems in place that can support that environment, uh, being uh, how many air changes per hour and the quality of the air and the HEPA filters that purify the air and the water that goes into the product is, you know, there's several different layers of that that's way too deep to talk about here. But, uh, you know, every everything is of the highest purity and the highest standard, and it can never be an interruption of the, the airflow or the water flow at any time during the process, and so it's just a very it's a very stringent environment and uh, is constantly monitored, monitored, and then uh, should something happen, that's where the 
you know, the paper meets the road there, the slightest uh, deviation or non-compliance results in, it could be a couple of days worth of paperwork to explain why it happened, and, and then you have to, con you know, put together a plan why it will never happen again. <laughs> so, that's uh, so why I mean the documentation piece is, is uh, the big difference between putting together uh, a Chevy widget or uh, an automobile widget or putting together a drug that's going to be uh, bottled up and eventually ejected into a human being. And I, I mean, I would imagine that those best practices can be translated as well, right? Where just because the, I guess the end result or the repercussions of quote unquote failure uh, aren't as severe in the, you know, the car manufacturing facility down the road, um, you know, that process and that strategy could still be implemented, right? It's maintaining and, and establishing what this looks like and making sure that you're following those processes and procedures to the T. That's true. And uh, there's a, there was a, there's a big quality, quality philosophy that uh, Deming put together years and years and years ago, like in the fifties, he, or actually maybe even the forties, but it's, uh, you know, it's the, you know, manufacturing things, build quality into every step that you do. And I know they're, I know they're doing that in Detroit. They're doing it in all car manufacturers because, you know, they, they don't want to have, they don't want to build cars that are going to fail. They want cars that are going to last 200, 300,000 miles and, and the people have a good experience and no failures along the way. So all of those, all those things uh, all do play into that. Uh, the, the biggest thing is they don't have to, you know, put on three layers of clothing and be in bunny suits and, you know, be tested and swabbed as they walk into the uh, department to put together the radiator, you know. But, uh, and so as far as going in and establishing what those best practices are, because people that are listening, they may not be, you know, working at one of the larger facilities out there and they could be working for a startup and, you know, this is one of their projects, right? Their initiatives of establishing these guidelines. And so how can one go about and either from scratch establish these best practices and, and these guidelines that you're going to be following or two, kind of take a step back and look at, okay, here's what we're doing right now. And to your point of having quality at every single step of the way, let's improve that quality. Let's make adjustments. Let's evolve over time and not just say it's done and it's good forever. So what are some best practices or some good takeaways that people could have that are listening that could kind of get their, get started in the right direction there? So as far as if you're on a team, let's say you're a, a director of facilities and you've got half a dozen, maybe, maybe 10 people in a company that are experienced in this environment. What you need to do, and there's lots of great companies out there uh, that, that consult. They've, they've been through it, they've got 20 years experience, they've, they've got validation engineers, they have experience writing SOPs, they have experience training. They're, I mean, I, I, there was a company that came into one of the biotechs I was in and teach you how to work in a clean room, how you, the methodologies and all the things that you do to prevent deviations and, and uh, non-compliance issues when you're in there working. So there's, there's a whole host of consulting for firms out there that will help you with that. And you have to get those folks in there to help you out because you can't do it by yourself. There's just too much. And it's too big a nut to crack uh, by yourself with just a few really motivated uh, senior management folks. You've got to get a team on board to help you get there. And where I'm currently at, we're uh, going to have a product launch uh, at some point in the year, maybe, maybe even next year. But in in that process, all that aside, we have to become ISO 9001 certified. And so for 
that to happen, we need to bring in consultants to help us uh, figure out which rooms that need to be uh, validated. Do our freezers need to be validated and, and all the mapping and things that go with that. But that will all be done by consultants and helping us write the standard operating procedures or SOPs and the work instructions that we need. So you've got to reach out. You've got to build your team. Again, it's all about teamwork. And uh, you know, th th you're not going to have you're not going to hire all those folks as full-time employees or FTEs. You've got to get those folks in as on a temporary basis for six months, maybe 18 months, to help you get from point A to point B in the process. Yeah, and and that is like you said, it, it's about building that network and actually having those resources. And again, that goes back. It costs money at the end of the day to have a consultant come in and help out. Going back to having that conversation with the C-suite and, and explaining why. Here is exactly why we need X, Y, and Z to occur and how it's going to have an impact on the business and have, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? So wanting to have the big picture. Here are the results that we could expect. Here is the investment, but here is, like I said, the improvement in quality or just the overall uh, you know, process that we have as we move forward that just laying the foundation for, you know, a, a better future for the organization as a whole. Right. Yeah. It's, and it, it's a gamble. You can't, you can go too, too big, too fast, add too many employees. Uh, there's, there's a, a thousand ways to do it wrong. And, you know, there's only a couple of good ways to do it right. And so it has to do with luck. Some of it has to do with good leadership and planning. Uh, but yeah, you just never know. Yep. Absolutely. And that, that's, you know, again, relying on your network and, you know, the, the experts at your fingertips and, and making the best decision for you, your team and the organization as a whole. Um, but I do have one, one last question as we're wrapping up here. And I ask this to everybody that, that comes on, uh, and I never prep anyone. So don't feel bad that I didn't let you know ahead of time, but, um, who, <laughs> who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? You know, I'm I'm gonna give that shout out to my wife. Smart you know, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she has always been my rock, and she is. Uh, you know, it's not easy to. You know, I'll say I've been at ten biotechs in the twenty years, and you know that's you have to take some risks. And she's always been my my co-pilot, and she said, "Well, whatever. If you think it's gonna, you know, if you think you've got the the right stuff to make that work go for it and uh so far it's worked out well because she's always always been there and uh been supportive so i've given her the number one kudos for uh, why i've been successful in my career love that and you gotta take the snippet maybe i'll edit for you and send it on over <laughs> have that in your back pocket well, whenever you need it <laughs> she's just in the next room so she probably heard that i'm not sure she did or not but oh that's great. Well, uh, Z, certainly appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure talking uh, with you here this afternoon for me. Um, but yeah, absolute pleasure. I appreciate the insight and uh, look forward to staying in touch. It was really great talking with you. All right. Take care, Z. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to future episodes and visit our website, stratumcommunity.com for more facilities management content.